You are now listening to the Here for the Truth podcast, hosted by Joel Rafidi and Erasmus Stylianessis. Everybody, welcome back to Here for the Truth. This is episode 44, and what an incredible guest we have for you today. Some of you may recognize him. We have Alex Zek in the house. Alex Zek is a speaker, writer, activist, former army captain, and former grocery store manager. <laughs> He's the executive director and founder of Health Freedom for Humanity, a nonprofit whose mission is to unite people from all walks of life under one common purpose, the reclamation and defense of health freedom. He received his BS in systems engineering from the United States Military Academy at West Point. Alec, man, such a pleasure to have you here. Welcome to Here for the Truth. Dude, thank you for having me. I didn't expect that grocery store manager part. And uh, <laughs> as you guys both know, I'm like still having residual sweat from running, but I also have like the, like, you know, when you run, when it's cold outside and you get that, like, uh, that, like cold lung that makes you cough. Uh-huh. So when you said the grocery store thing, I had to like turn away and mute my mic because I couldn't stop coughing. <laughs> that was good. Yeah, I got I got kicked out of the grocery store I was working at because I was selling shrooms out of the back. So <laughs> dude, that's hilarious. Six times, man. Six times. <laughs> dude, seven. I've been deleted seven. seven. I'm, I'm, I'm on account number eight. Yeah. Oh wow. I wonder who has the record for most deletions. <laughs> I think I know who. Um, the dude who runs the COVID-19 vaccine reactions account, I know uh, who he is and I know his name, but I he hasn't unmasked yet. So Yeah, yeah he, no, totally. Yeah, he, he's been deleted 12 times, I think. So. Wow, man. Well, what yeah. a world, huh? Like, literally, what a world we're living in where this is normal. Just Dude, and the, the crazy thing about his account, like obviously like mine, it's, it's nuts that I've been deleted as many times as I have because I, you know, I try to back up everything I say with, with data that's easily verifiable, sometimes even using the government's own data or the CDC's own data against them, you know, but him, he's literally on his account just taking actual people who are sharing their experience after getting the shot and posting it without any commentary, just like that mm-hmm. and getting deleted. And now he's been deleted 12 times. It's it's absurd, man. So wild, man. Yeah. But listen, let's, let's, I want to start, man. Like, you know, we're here for the truth. We love um, hearing about people's personal heroes journey as well. So it's like, obviously you have a whole life. And so there's a lot to it, but in terms of major rites of passage, like what has led you to this place where you're like, I'm going to start this, I'm going to start speaking out. I'm going to start this organization and I'm going to start speaking at rallies and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Like what, what led led to all this man it's uh you know i haven't this is a really good question because it's like making me sit and reflect because i've been so go 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 lately Mm -hmm. um and really what what led me here is just authentically being and doing what i know i'm supposed to be being and doing like that that is honestly it dude like if you would have told me even a year ago when I was starting to, you know, speak out about things that are going on right now that I would be doing public speaking, like flying places at like twice a month to speak at things. I'd have told you that you're fucking high. Am I allowed to cuss on here? Oof. Yeah, dude, you can say whatever you want, man. I, I'm from Jersey. Dude. I, curse all, I curse all the time. <laughs> okay. I would have told you that you're fucking high. Like there would have been no way. Oh, you guys have matching mugs. Where's mine? There you go. <laughs> That's rad. That's awesome. <laughs> How did you get mud? Okay. Um, can you like Photoshop one and maybe? Um, yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. 
so dude, I, I mean, I've had several, like what you would call rites of passage, if you will, though, that, um, you know, I, I was raised in a household that, and I, let me preface this by saying I've healed so much of this. I am not a victim. And I want to say that I am not, I'm not who I am despite the trauma that I've experienced. I am who I am because of the trauma that I've experienced. Like, this is not a like, oh, woe is me. I've been through some shit, yeah. right? But I have been through some shit. Like, I grew up in a very chaotic and uh, traumatic and abusive household. My dad was repeating patterns of generational abuse and trauma. Um, and I was physically abused quite a bit when I was younger, verbally abused when I was younger, emotionally abused, spiritually abused, every type of abuse there was, right? And I was made to believe that I was a worthless piece of shit if I wasn't a certain way. And on top of that, my mom um, was also in many ways repeating patterns from her side of the family as well, where she was very codependent, more focused on fixing my dad than she was on parenting us. So there's also not a, a lot of neglect involved, right? And so, like I said, outsourced my, you're made to feel like I was worthless and outsourced my self-worth into external things. And I was taught to do that from a young age because I didn't have any self-worth myself. Um, it was always performance-based or like, like the, the clothes I had, the, the friends that I could get, the girls I could get, the, you know, like just material things or my performance on the basketball court. Um, and, and there were some good elements to that too because my dad was very authoritarian. So if I didn't get good grades, then I would get the shit beat out of me, but that forced me to become like to get good grades. So I, I was, I was somewhat, you know, within the system, if you will, and intelligent, which also doesn't mean shit, but working hard and persevering through tough things. Um, but as a result of the, the abuse that was inflicted upon me, my siblings, my mom, my dad went to rehab for, for some things. And when he went to rehab, my mom went to go see a psychiatrist by the, uh, you know, just like a very traditional uh, evidence-based medicine, allopathic psychiatrist. And the psychiatrist didn't talk to my mom about any of the abuse that she had dealt with. Um, didn't talk to her about trauma healing or anything like that. Nothing about nutrition, nothing about mindfulness, meditation, any of those things. It was simply like a 15 minute conversation. Then she was prescribed multiple benzodiazepines, SSRIs. I think you guys have had my mom on the show. So you, you, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah, we episode 29 with, with Alex, mom, with Alex, like incredible conversation. Yep. Yep. And I, so I will, I'll save it for go listen to episode 29. Um, if you want to get more on that, but you know, my mom found Dr. Kelly Brogan in 2016 and that sent her on a, you know, spiral of, of actually dealing with her shit, but she was actually expressing vitality and health for the first time in 10 years was no longer suicidal and that sent me down a rabbit hole of questioning. My wife healed her two autoimmune conditions naturally. And she was under the care of multiple rheumatologists for 10 years after seeing my wife or seeing my mom heal, my wife healed. And that sent me down a rabbit hole of questioning everything, but also because my mom was finding, um, I guess, methods and, and people to help facilitate her trauma healing. I started doing that as well for the first time. So I was no longer externalizing. I was actually having like my, you know, proverbial dark night of the soul mm -hmm. where I was being forced to face my shadow, you know, and then and, and, uh, heal my trauma. And all that sort of came to head in 2020 in like May of 2020. Um, I was still in the army at the time and uh, COVID, COVID hit obviously February. And I made a video that I actually found the other day, February 29th, 2020. So before much of the mainstream media was even talking about lockdowns or anything here, I said, this will no doubt be used for mandatory vaccines for all people. I had already like, like dive deep into the pharmaceutical industry, corruption, 9-11, everything. So 
like many of us did, I saw it coming right when it happened. Yeah. Um, but then I, I, you know, I was still in the army and there was elements of me having to suppress who I truly was. Cause I didn't agree with killing already at that point. I didn't agree with the wars that we were fighting in the army. Um, I was very, I guess you could say traditionally came from the left, like two years, two and a half years ago, but was teetering more towards like voluntarism, anarchy, um, like, yeah. And anarchy in the, in the traditional sense, not yep. what the media projects anarchy to be. I know most of your listeners probably know what I'm talking about, but um, so I was already having to suppress real illness because I was still in the army, but like having all these perceptions, didn't agree with vaccines, already put in a religious medical accommodation in the army. So I didn't have to get vaccines anymore. But um, COVID hit and I felt so convicted to speak, man, because I had dealt with narcissistic abuse, trauma, manipulation, gaslighting. I had seen the harmful effects of blindly following allopathic doctors and how harmful pharmaceutical-backed allopathic medicine can be. I'd already seen the, the amazing healing uh, possibilities of natural health. And like my son at this time was two and he was completely unvaccinated and like extremely healthy, especially relative to his peers. So I already knew all that. And then, and then COVID hit and I, I, I got to a point where I had to speak. So I, I started speaking despite still being in the army, very careful with the way I said things back then. Yeah. Um, never used the word government in anything that I said, I always just alluded to it kind of, but uh, you know, took off from there, man, and just kept speaking on my perceptions formed an organization surrounding that um health freedom for humanity obviously and now we have 24 state chapters and chapters in four countries and we're expanding pretty rapidly and we do it differently man we don't we're 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 a health freedom organization that doesn't petition the government to change we're not asking the government for permission we're not you know pleading with the government to recognize our freedom we are empowering people to be free now and we're creating a community educating and empowering people around that idea. And it's, it's outside of any racial, political, uh, religious, socioeconomic, gender, sexual orientation. It's, it's uniting people from all walks of life. And we really, really stress the importance of that because it's not a political thing. It is not a religious thing. It, this is a human rights thing, specifically speaking to health freedom. So that's what I continue to do. And here I am now. And I never would have guessed that I'd be doing this. So that's it. I love it, man. From West Point to Health Freedom for Humanity, man. It's, uh, it's pretty cool. Um, I want to, I'm just curious, what, like, what was it where you were like, I'm going to go to West Point, I'm going to do, I'm going to go be in the army. So I was recruited to play basketball at West Point. Um, like I said, like growing up, my, my entire childhood, middle school, elementary school, high school, um, was focused around basketball, was focused, focused around sports. Like that was my entire life. And I was always, it was always like a life or death. Like that's how it felt for me, life or death. My dad, like up until age 10, my dad was a college basketball coach. Then he got fired from his job as college basketball coach for some things that some, some pretty sketchy things he was doing behind the scenes, but he's an amazing coach. And then he became my AAU basketball coach, which is like a travel basketball team, yeah. um, like club basketball, right? When I was in elementary school, middle school, and then all throughout high school. And basketball was my whole life, man. Like that was everything. But I was so afraid of failure because it was made to be like almost like a life or death thing for me, where if I didn't perform, I would get the, I would get my ass beat or I'd get cussed out. Right. And uh, because I was so afraid of failing and I was self-identifying with my performance, 
I fucked up all the time. I, I was constantly messing up. If I played well, I would play well and drop like 40 points. If I missed my first two shots, my dad would be like, get your fucking head in the game. And then I would be afraid to mess up and I would play horrible. Mm -hmm. So, and that led to a lot of injuries too. So I, I got injured literally every year in high school. And the only D1 school that was recruiting me was West Point. Okay. Everyone, the other one was a D2 offer, right? So I went to a basketball like uh, recruit camp for all the, the dudes at West Point was recruiting my junior going into senior year of high school. And I grew up in a military community, although like my family itself wasn't military, just like the high school I went to is right near a military base. So a lot of my friends' parents went to West Point as well. So after going to look at West Point and, you know, with, with the mindset of like in the system, seeing how many like historic generals graduated from there, how many Fortune 500 uh, CEOs of Fortune 500 companies went to West Point um, and just all that West Point offered, you know, one of the top public universities in the united states it wasn't even being in the army i didn't i didn't give a shit about that it was that i was being recruited for basketball and then having a degree from west point in the system meant a lot mm -hmm. so mm -hmm. that's what led me to go to west point and then i got cut from the basketball team when i got there so this is why i didn't know you played hoops man this is, i love it i love playing hoops yeah. my whole life but it's been fucking probably two, 10 15 years since i've played but that's awesome yeah so so basketball was my life growing up man it was it was everything um that's what I self-identified with. So Yeah. Um, what do you think of the Kyrie situation? Dude, Kyrie's always been my favorite point guard, and now I know why. Okay. Yeah, I, I love Kyrie. I love what he's doing. Um, like, being one of the only people that's willing to speak up. I also don't think LeBron got the vaccine either. I don't think half of the, like, bigger Le names got the vaccine. Dude. Yeah, I, I don't buy it. No chance. No chance. Yeah. Yeah, I definitely don't buy it. It's pretty crazy now because now they're saying um, basically that they're saying that the, the J&J vaccine is useless because now they just put out a statement, the NBA Association saying everyone that's got the J&J vaccine needs to get a booster, right? Dude, <laughs> the, it's, it's because they want to do whatever they can for whatever reason to get this mRNA technology into our bodies. Yeah. That is my thought process on that. And I mean, I don't think that is not that is not saying that like, oh, the J&J shot is safer. That's not what I'm implying either. But I, I really think it's they're doing whatever they possibly can to get this mRNA technology into our bodies. Yeah, I mean, I agree with you on that point, man, without a doubt. It's just it's like usual they keep pushing the goalposts, keep pushing the goalposts. It's like when the people who did, you know, consent to making this decision to go, I'm just doing it because I want to go to a concert or because I want to do this or because I want to do that. It's like it's not ending. It's just no. keep it's just going and going and going, which is it's predictable so from, which is what i thought a year ago you know i was like this is what's going to happen this is the game plan yeah. so Dude, from your, what everyone thought it was going to happen yeah your everyone said this was going to happen yeah, yeah my bad go ahead you're right man from your experience what is the long game with mrna dude i there's so many i don't want to apply apply too much conjecture to this and i'll preface this by saying that I fundamentally believe that the body is self-healing. So I don't believe, I know mm -hmm. that the body is self-healing, self-regenerating, and that human beings, like the, the, our capacity to heal ourselves of anything is far greater than we've ever been led to believe. And so with that, I think a lot of people in the so-called health freedom, truth-seeking, whatever community uh, tend to forget that and, and or set that aside, that belief that they supposedly hold, in order to fear monger on the harmful effects of this vaccine. And to be clear, 
-hmm. Do I think the vaccine is killing people? Yes. Do I think it is harming people? Yes. Do I think that there is any redeeming qualities of this? Absolutely not. Do I also think that the, a human being who genuinely perceives that that stuff is good for them and that it will help them can trick their body into accepting that and it being good for them? Possibly as well. But my, but my point is, I do not think that millions of people who receive this are going to die come the rest of this fall or winter time. I think as we continue to receive these products, we will continue to poison ourselves and then we will have potentially more harmful effects for sure. Um, and that's where it's important to get back to the understanding that the body is self-healing, self-regenerating, because if you get people to understand that at the foundation, then, they, then the, receiving this thing wouldn't even be on the table. Cause it's like, no, why would I need this product? If I know that if I treat my body well, and if I, you know, treat my mind, body and spirit as a temple, then I can be well, right? Like um, the body, my body's ability to heal itself. I'm not afraid of any so-called virus and we can get into that, but yes. I, you know, it's a, uh, it's an entire mindset shift, but, but then I think there's other possible implications um, surrounding patent law and, you know, whether you can, this, this one's tough because I, I don't want to speak too much on this because it's like, do I believe this has the capability to edit, like to edit your DNA, right? Or to alter your DNA? Yes, I think it could. Do I think the human genome is constantly changing and re-expressing itself? Yes. So like, do I think anything is permanent? No, but we know that something that is naturally existing cannot be patented even as it or owned, even as it applies to human beings. And there's court cases that have settled that. So is it possible that people who continue to receive these products are able to be owned in a, in a certain way? Yes, I do think so, especially uh, with the understanding that everything that is happening, for the most part, at least at the highest level, we are consenting to it, mm -hmm. you know, and that's either that we are uh, actually expressing that we are consenting to it, or it's implied consent by our actions. So most of this, we are consenting, or it, most, if not all of the things that are happening to us that they are doing, we are allowing to happen by consenting to it. So it's that we, it, maybe we are in many ways uh, consenting and, and contracting with the government or whatever nefarious entity to allow them to, to own us in many ways. So yeah. that could be another possible thing. Yeah, I'm, I'm right there with you, man. Uh, those are thoughts that have been going on in my head as well. Um, you know, you bring up a... You bring up such an important point on the body's innate intelligence, on the body's innate healing capacity. And if people could understand and apply what happens if they, when they cut their finger and then apply and apply that concept to the rest of their body. Like if you cut your finger, there's all these little things that are going to happen and whatever, you know, I'm not going to get into it. And then the body, after a few days, you know, there's a healing process. You didn't have to do anything. You didn't need to take any supplements. You didn't need to do this X, Y, and Z. You don't it's have to think about it. Doing it. Yeah, you don't own. have to think about it. Exactly. And imagine if you have the, like, because we do, and, you know, all discussions on Joe Dispenza's turn towards whatever he's turning towards now aside, what he has taught in the past absolutely is beautiful and brilliant and spot on with how the human body works, with how consciousness works. Like, if we have the ability to tap into that natural innate intelligence into our body, and consciously manifest and bring it about, then we can heal ourselves of fucking anything, anything. And we don't require any pharmaceutical product to do so. Yeah. 
I, I agree, man. I mean, there's these adaptive processes that happen. The same thing's happening deep and within the body at the tissue level, at the organ level. But what happens is we're conditioned to fear so much, to fear diagnoses, to fear words. And what does that then do to our psyche? And so it's like to really connect deep within to that level where it's like, my body is a fucking walking miracle. It is incredible. Wow. It's amazing. Look what happens. I just cut my finger. That is so fucking cool. You yeah. know, but unfortunately the way the system has been, you look at the last hundred years, it's just like, you go to a, you go to an allopathic doctor and then they go, you have cancer. And then what does that do? You know? Oh fuck. I'm going to fucking die. You know? So it's just this wild, wild, like um, domino effect that occurs. And it's like, really, how do we get back to the foundation of that belief that you talked about, man? It's so important. It's why education is huge. It's why disconnecting from the matrix, from the system, getting information from other things. And, and then at the same time, just tapping into that deep wisdom that, you know, you know, connecting to source, God, nature, whatever that is for you. Yeah. When I just really believe that when you do that, when you really connect to that essence, all this stuff fades away. You're like, wait, what? You want me to do what? Nah, I'm not doing that. Exactly, dude. I don't even think I need to comment on that because every, <laughs> everything you just said, like, I don't think I could add anything better than what you just said. Spot you know, on. That's why there's so many interesting demographics. When you look around all the different types of people that are choosing to say yes or no to this experimental yep. medication. And it's, it's just interesting to observe. Like, what is it? You know, there was a while it was, I think, yeah, at the beginning of this year, there were chiropractors and Chinese medicine doctors who were recommending sending out their newsletters, telling people to get the shot. And I go, okay, so you're, so you're connected to spirit and nature on paper, but in reality, you couldn't be further from it. Dude, you know, when, so we were, when we were dropping off these flyers for our event around the Kansas City area, I went to a bunch of chiropractic offices, of course, and like naturopathic doctor's offices and, you know, functional medicine offices. And it was so crazy because most of them like on, on their door, like on their signage, they'll have like a little saying of their mission statement underneath and talk about how the body like is amazing and it heals itself, nature, this, this, and that. And then on the other side, say like masks required and you walk in and then the receptionist is wearing a face shield and a mask and gloves doing temperature mm -hmm. checks. And it's just like, yeah, the amount of, the amount of so-called holistic uh, practices that are going against their foundational teachings is insane. And this is where like, I don't know if you guys know Dr. Tommy John. Um, he and I used to be really, really good friends. We've sort of shifted ways now just because uh, the way he approached things, but I do agree with him on this man. Like, the, the allopathic systems need to crash and all the holistic systems need to crash too. All of it, all of it needs to fucking go. All of it, especially because all the holistic ones are trying to play allopathic and trying to be like the white lab coat, have as many titles as you can after your last name to so that you're the authority figure, you tell people how to heal <laughs> instead of turning people back to themselves to understand. And then you're facilitating that, guiding them back to themselves in that understanding rather than having them outsourced to you, allopathic or not. And, and, and it's even worse when these so-called holistic doctors, like when I go to those offices and they're talking about nature, like, it's just like, it's almost like a fad. It's like, they're just saying that because it's a fad thing, but you don't actually fundament, fundamentally know that you're not actually teaching that to your patients when you're also saying that in one hand and then requiring them to come in and wear masks and vaccines. I could, I could, you know, I could see if you were saying like, Hey, if you want to wear a mask or even if you had a sign door, like if you want to wear a mask, yeah. 
totally valid because because that at least like you're 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 a stepping stone for them you can still like teach them in many ways and you don't even have to talk about the vaccine in some situations if you get them to understand the body self-healing and self-regenerating they will come to that understanding on their own but when you're actually blatantly saying masks required well you're you're not about it you're not actually about what you say you're about so i agree that all all systems need to crash and we just need to get back to nature and health and, and empowering people to go within themselves yeah man well it's just a marketing front right basically the for, for these for, for these practitioners and i mean at the same time this is the silver lining of this time is that um those that aren't really in integrity with their true mission are being exposed at the same time because there's a clear metric at this point for actually who who is on the path of authenticity and who means what they say and who who doesn't even within the health truth and freedom communities yeah i and also too in, in terms of like obviously of allopathic here and more natural holistic pr uh, practitioners you know, a lot of times it's like, oh, well, I'm not giving you a pharmaceutical, but I'm telling you, you have to have, you have to spend $1,000 and get 82 different supplements, this X, Y, Z. And it's like, what, you know, yeah, and, and even from a healing standpoint, you know, I'm a beginning student of German new medicine, Germanic healing knowledge is like a lot of times, once you start getting symptoms, that's showcasing that you're in a healing response. And so people will take, will take these natural supplements that'll stop that natural process that's happening, that adaptive process is happening in your body. And so, yeah, maybe it's not as toxic that you're, that you're getting some pharmaceutical, but you're also inhibiting a process that is natural that the body needs to go through to some degree. Yeah. And that's where it's like, a, if you are to take supplements, it's a shift in perception. It's not that like, you're doing this, you're taking this specific thing. Let's say for example, vitamin C, right? Like you're, I'm not, I'm not going to eat a bunch of oranges cause I'm afraid cause I'm having a, a healing response. It's cause I'm aiding my, I'm aiding my body's ability to express that healing response. Does that make sense? It's yeah, it like does. anything that is still just masking symptoms or stopping your body's healing response is absolutely in the same line of thinking as allopathic medicine. And this is where like Man, this is a deep conversation on an individual's perception because I think many people, for example, and, and this is not always the case, jump on the ivermectin train because it's like, oh, I'm afraid. I'm like, you know, I feel like my lungs are collapsing. So I'm just going to take this ivermectin because I'm so afraid of what's happening to me right now. You know what I mean? But then yeah. like there is, I, I don't want to say evidence, but like there is a thought process and a potential mechanism behind ivermectin in that it is purely a zinc ionophore that helps your body absorb zinc better. So like maybe in that case, it might work, but, but the whole perception behind it, which is why 99.999% of people are taking it is that it's like, Oh, I'm afraid of the symptoms associated with this disease. So I'm going to take that to stop those symptoms. And that is completely wrong. I agree. And people are like taking it like it's candy, like, Oh, I'm just preventative just in case, you know, I'm just a pop a few Evermectins. Totally, totally you don't fine. need any, you don't need any, like, and I, and I mean this, and I truly mean this. You do not need any pharmaceutical products. Like, I don't care what they are. You do not need them. You can find something that nature provides that is just as powerful, if not more powerful than pharmaceutical products. Most of them are most, if not all of them are based some are synthesized in the lab, but most, if not all are based yeah. in what nature already provides. Yeah. But you can't patent nature. So it's like, well, let's synthesize this from this natural compound and then we could patent it and then we could sell it for five thousand percent more than what we're making it for and uh, make a little bit of money on the side exactly wild, man exactly i mean and that, 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 that's the game in all industry not just pharmaceuticals i mean look at look at what monsanto's done for years you know um even talking about patenting like potentially dna they've been 
patenting crops, right? They've even been growing plantations. Then the I think the wind carries the the seeds into into other into other organic farms or natural farms, crop circles, whatever it might be. And then they can end up patenting their seeds on that farm as well, simply because those seeds have been carried to the other farm. Fucking um, that makes me so angry. it's crazy and i mean obviously ggmo is another conversation and where this is going it's who who knows um but i mean we we can't buy into the doom and gloom narrative by 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 any means whatsoever you know because this is ongoing at the moment we're in the war now we're in the fight now it's happening in real time there's good people in all levels of the game doing good and powerful things um so to everyone that gets swept away in they're all powerful. It's all over. We're all going down one track. Um, I just really implore people to, to come back to the moment and, and look at things with a little bit more perspective because at the same time, everything is being exposed, right? And without this event, without these circumstances, we would never have really looked twice or looked anywhere near as deep as we are looking now behind the veil. I, I also too, like based on what you said, if I'm going to sit here and say that there's this innate intelligence in my body, this healing capacity that's happening, why can't I apply that to what's happening in the world? That there's this process happening and there's symptoms and there's things that are just, yeah. it's just, I don't need to fear it. Like we're living, let's say there's a global body and what's happening right now is like, whoa, crazy symptoms and heal. And I'm going to be afraid of it. Like, no, I, I'm going to do my part, but trust that things will develop and continue to adapt and we will heal. That's my view. Dude, 100%, man. I mean, this is like a collective dark night of the soul. Mm-hmm. Like the, I mean, for anyone that's had, and I'm assuming it, like you two have at some points oh, in yeah. your life, the dark night of the soul, that shit was fucking hard and very, very, very traumatic. And like going through all of your, you know, or like drumming up all of your shadows that you haven't dealt with yet and having to really look at them and then authentically choose a new path for yourself. That is some tough shit right and that's what we're in the middle of collectively right now but it's beautiful what's going to happen on the other side if we let it we can either evolve through this or repeat and go back into the same bullshit patterns and you know a lot of people right now are being faced with a decision where they have one foot still in the door in the system and one foot out and maybe they're getting you know medical exemptions and philosophical exemptions and religious exemptions or they're doing notices of conditional acceptance of notice of liability and it, it may work and you may it may be that like when it comes to this individual piece of the system we overwhelm it so much because so many people um say you know like take their their monopoly piece their uh off of the chessboard and don't even say no just say no i'm, I'm going to be free i'm going to be free so we overwhelm the system and force it to change or we're stepping away from the system but either way people are still in this dance where they have one foot in the door of the system and one foot out and they're trying to hang on to both worlds and that's not going to last any longer like these these exemptions that people are getting those will only bide you time they're not going to last and you're going to be forced with the decision to either get completely out of the system and face that harsh reality that the system needs to collapse or you're going to have to comply with the system and it's going to be one or the other yeah absolutely man um like on on some level the system is intentionally pushing everything that's good out right look at look what's happening in, in the schooling in the, in the schooling world and in, in the hospital like all the good nurses all the good all the good teachers right nothing that can still expose the system is being allowed to stand by any means and i mean 
I've been telling everyone for the last two years, just position accordingly, because whatever thread that you have now, where you think you can still have this dance to keep one foot in the system, it's really not going to be there for long. Exactly. And, and I want to be clear on this. Like, of course, there are people who have situations like a mom who's a nurse that has four kids and is yeah. working at a hospital and that's her only source of income. Like, am I saying that she's absolutely screwed in a week from now, she's going to be like that she shouldn't do a medical exemption. No, like, of course, bide yourself time if you have to, but just understand that you need to be setting yourself up to be reliant outside of the system. You need to be looking for opportunities outside the system because it is going to come to a point where it's either that, like I said, that specific situation, let's say at that hospital, so many people overwhelm it by saying, no, we're not going to participate with this. We're all going to quit. All, you know, 100 employees are going to quit and go elsewhere unless you change and we're forcing you to change. And that's a shift in perception, um, even on a political, from a political lens that like, we are, we are not begging the system to change. We are not um, asking the system for permission. We are telling the system that like, hey, I'm going to be free. I am free by virtue of existing. It's either you get on board with it and you adapt. Otherwise you're going to collapse and we're going to go over here and start something better. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And you hear so many stories of that happening. You know, I remember some article or someone posted a tweet where it was like, even in a, not maybe not a large company, but it was like a dentist office or something. And the four like dental assistants like got together and they just said like, uh, yeah, so we're putting in our notice and the main dentist was like, oh, no, 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 no. Okay, don't worry. You don't have to get it. It's fine. So exactly. you know, again, you're right. Like it, what's to stop people from coming together and just forming a, an unofficial union, I guess you could say, just their own union together and being like, we ain't having this. You can take that shit and go fuck yourself. <laughs> exactly. Like, and what's so beautiful, man, is that like, even if you're in a situation right now, where you're one of the only people inside your business, your practice, wherever that is like saying no, and they do fire you. There's so many people who are in the, on the same page of you that are starting things outside the system that are going to be so much better from the ground up. They're going to be so much better than what you're doing inside the system. So yes, regardless yes. of if you're by yourself and it, and it is, I acknowledge that that is a very scary thing for sure. If you're by yourself, you're one of the only people in your office that has that perception, but, but even more beautiful when you do, have the courage to stand up and be like, nope, I'm not fucking doing this. You'll probably see one, two, three, four other people in your office that are like, you know, I needed someone else to stand up first. Thank God you did that. I'm standing up too. But regardless of whether it's just you or it's multiple people, either way, it is the best thing for you yeah. because you're either going to force that to the, the, the system itself to change, like I said, or you're going to be booted out of the system. Good. You should be booted out of that system because that system sucks anyway. Yeah. And the, the self-empowerment, that feeling that comes from standing in your truth and doing something like that, there's no price tag on that. When you really stand up for something and then what happens on the other side after you've gone through that, what that gives you, there's no money in the world. You know, and again, I'm not here to discount like, hey, people have real bills to pay, this, that, and the other. Everyone has to make their own choice. But we're almost two years into this. There's health, freedom for humanity. How many chapters did you say? There's all these other orgs. Like there, this is something that's out there. This isn't like, four months in where people are like, I'm the only person in my friend's group. I'm the only person in my family. I don't know anyone with the fuck. This is crazy. I just lost my, like my boyfriend, my girlfriend, like there's a large community all over the world, you know, so you can make those connections. It's just a matter of whether or not you, you want to and believe it and can stand in it. Yeah. 
Dude, it, it, exactly. And that's what's beautiful because like we are just one of many organizations. Like we have 24 state chapters and chapters in four countries and we're expanding. There's Freedom Keepers United who's very similar perception as us. There is Derek Bros's Freedom Cells. There's a bunch of different organizations that are very like-minded in this that you can find in your area. There's absolutely community there. What it usually requires is you, your willingness to authentically express who you are and your, yeah. your authentic perceptions. Yeah, several, um, my wife and I, we moved from Santa Monica to Topanga uh, last year. And several months ago, we started having like freedom parties. We have these massive parties. And there were people in the beginning that were like, I'm literally the only person in my friend group and my family that has these views. I was going to move out of California because I felt alone. And now I don't. You know, so, and then uh, what's the ripple effect of that? Yeah. You know, the, the relationships, the connections being made, and then who knows what comes from that. So, so it's just, rad, it's just, you know, there, there's community. There is. The, 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 We're not just three weirdos sitting around doing nothing and be like, oh, we just have these views and we're on the call right now and everyone thinks we're crazy. <laughs> uh, we are pretty weird, though. <laughs> yeah, that's very true. That's true. Speak, speak for yourselves. Um, <laughs> The, the point is 100 percent you have to make that you have to cross that bridge within yourself first you know what i mean because while you're still teetering teetering on the edge and still have that uncertainty within yourself you're going to call that in externally as well so until you can fully embody i'm going to stand in my authenticity i'm going to stand in my integrity i'm going to live my life according to my deeper values morals and what's intrinsically what feels intrinsically correct to me then it's going to open up for you the opportunities in the, in the external world Amen. Yeah. Amen. Yeah. All right. I want to get into this, man. A little while ago, you, you posted a tweet. I'm probably going to butcher it, but it was like, <laughs> if X, Y, Z hasn't been shown oh. to this, and then it's, it, it um, then leads to X, Y, Z symptom. Like, you know, like talk about that tweet. Like, how okay. do we know this thing? Everyone talks about, well, it hasn't been isolated. Like, has it, has it not? What does that mean? And how, how is it all of a sudden this thing that hasn't been isolated then leading to all these different symptoms. Okay. So it depends on your definition of isolated. Okay. So if you think of isolation as taking one thing and having it completely separate of other things, um, then no, it has not been isolated. If you think of isolation in the terms of putting a bunch of things together and then that thing breaks down, and into a bunch of fragments after you put a bunch of things inside of a thing. If you think that is the definition of isolation, then yes, it has been isolated. So the, what I was saying is uh, on the X and Y thing is, is if you hypothesize that X exists and causes Y, then you need to observe X existing and causing Y, right? You can't say X exists and causes Y, Y, therefore X exists if you have never proven that X exists. What I mean by that is you can't hypothesize a virus exists and causes disease. Disease is present, therefore it must be a virus if you have never proven that a virus exists. And at face value, that statement is gonna found, sound batshit crazy. But here's the deal. Every single paper, every single one, you can type in on Google or DuckDuckGo isolation of, and then put any virus you want. 
just for the sake of what we're dealing with in the world right now, put SARS-CoV-2, isolation of SARS-CoV-2. You'll find hundreds of papers where the title of the paper is that, isolation of SARS-CoV-2. But if you read the methodology, the methodology describes a process that is exactly the opposite of what we know isolation to be. So I'm going to use an analogy that Dr. Cowan has used in his book, The Contagion Method, is one of the best analogies. Um, but even this analogy is still missing a piece of it too, and I'll explain that in a minute. So if I were to try to prove that a ping pong ball, or if I were to hypothesize that a ping pong ball could break down a brick wall, I would obviously need to observe that ping pong ball breaking down that brick wall, right? Like that's, that's just logic, right? So if I were to take a giant hammer and smash the brick wall several times and then tape the ping pong ball to a giant boulder and then throw the boulder at the brick wall and the brick wall falls down, have I proven that the ping pong ball caused the destruction of that brick wall? I would say no, because <laughs> I think any person who's thinking logically would say, no, you already smashed the brick wall with a hammer and then you tape the ping pong ball to a giant rock. So how could you possibly say that the ping pong ball caused the destruction of that brick wall? So how this relates to virology, going back to the virus isolation papers that I'm referring to, which are the foundational evidence for viruses, for viruses as pathogenic disease causing agents, right? They take snot from a sick host and inside snot from a sick host, or snot or spit, semen, blood, in, inside any of those fluids from a sick host are millions of RNA, DNA, toxins, food particles, proteins, red blood cells, white blood cells, so much shit inside unfiltered fluids from a sick host, right? They take that unfiltered fluids and they put it on a monkey kidney cell known as a Vero cell culture alongside fetal bovine serum, Dilbeco's modified eagle medium, which are food sources for the cell, and then also minimal nutrient medium, which means that they're giving the cell the minimal amount of nutrients, which effectively means they're starving the cell, right? So they put all that on there alongside amphotericin, gentamicin, sometimes one or the other, sometimes both, and then also trypsin sometimes. And if you look up amphotericin, toxic kidneys, like just type in amphotericin toxic kidneys on Google or DuckDuckGo or type in gentamicin toxic kidneys, you will find a number of articles where they are known to be toxic to kidneys. So they're taking those antibiotics and also putting them on the monkey kidney cell. So again, this isolation experiment, right? They're taking all of these things and putting it on a monkey kidney cell, starving and poisoning the, the kidney cell, the cell then breaks down into a bunch of fragments experiencing what is called the cytopathic effect. They take pictures of the fragments with an electron microscope, an electron micrograph imagery, and they say that those fragments are viruses, right? So again, relating it back to the ping pong ball example, they have never taken the ping pong ball completely by itself and thrown it at the brick wall, meaning they have never taken the, the virus that yeah. they print yeah. again, this is where the ping pong ball itself uh, example itself is even somewhat off because we can see the ping pong ball. We, we know that the ping pong ball is there. They presuppose that there is a virus inside the fluids of a sick host that they're introducing to this cell culture along with those other things. And they pre they just assume that it is the virus inside the fluids of a sick host that is causing this cell to break down. They just make that assumption without ever having 
proven that there is a virus inside the fluids of a sick host. How do we know that that's the truth? Ask any virologist, molecular biologist, microbiologist, immunologist, epidemiologist, whatever profession, whatever ologist you want to say, ask them to provide you one single paper in which a virus was isolated, purified, characterized, and sequenced directly from the fluids of a sick person, and they cannot do it. Every single isolation paper is with the methodology that I just described. Every single one of them. They have never, ever, ever foundationally proven that a virus is inside the fluids of a sick person. Ever, it has never been done. Mm. Is it, didn't something go down with Dr. Lanka where he like put out some kind of bet on this? What, what happened? Do you know what happened with that? Yes. So I don't remember the exact year, but. Um, oh, and real quick, I just want to, uh, real quick, I just want to say I'm an avid ping pong player and I play often and I've smashed ping pong balls to the brick behind my table and it's never shattered. Just wanted to put that down in there. Okay. Continue your story. Just quickly. before. <laughs> <laughs> Also, before you go into the story, man, this is just wild because before you came on, we asked you for your birthday tales. Um, and so in the human, in human design, your personality son, based on the I Ching, the divin Chinese divination system is 62. You translate, translate that to gene keys, which is another system, and you get an archetype. And this is just crazy based on the, on the analogy that you just provided. But the archetype for you is called the scientist, right? I'm just going to read you these two sentences. The scientist is a master of naming things, concepts, and facts. He assembles, organizes, and labels the details. <clears throat> a true scientist provides logical, thorough information that everyone can understand and has a gift of explaining the intangible, making it accessible through clear, factual expression. So like literally, <laughs> man, it's like you were born for this, man. You, you were born to, to be and do exactly what you were doing on such a deeper level than most of us even know. It's just... It's crazy how they, these things always present themselves. And as you went through that analogy, you just remembered reading that. I'm like, this guy. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. I, I mean, I've had Dr. Uh, Cowan and Kaufman tell me that I'm like one of the best that they know of breaking this down into layman's terms. So yeah, I appreciate it. I think our audience is going to appreciate that too, because some of this stuff can get really obviously uber scientific and technical and heady. And, you know, not everyone has the capacity, but, you know, to be able to hear it in a way that, you can follow and make sense, man. It's huge. Yeah, dude. Thank you. I appreciate that. I mean, I, I want to like, obviously reading the the methodology of a virus isolation paper. Like when I first started doing, it, I had no, no idea what the fuck I was looking at. So I would email Dr. Cowan <laughs> all the time and ask him like, Hey, this one, I think it shows virus isolation. And then he would send respond to me with like, no, here's here, here where it's wrong. This is what this means. So it finally got to a point where like, he was like, Alec, you are smart enough to figure this out on your own. And like anyone can do what I'm doing. And I also have to give a shout out to one of my friends or a few of my friends, Jordan Grant, um, who's a urologist, brilliant human being. Uh, and then uh, Jacob Diaz, he's a, a dude just like me out of New York that is probably, probably the most brilliant train theory mind that I know, um, especially breaking it down into layman terms. Cool. Uh, his, his account on Instagram that everyone needs to follow is called undercover virologist. And the, the dude is, the dude is brilliant, but um, yeah. So uh, Stefan Lanka. So, so, okay. So Stefan Lanka is himself a virologist, right? 
And I guess he really, he likes to say a molecular biologist rather than virologist because he thinks virology is completely pseudoscientific. And so <clears throat> Stefan Lanka, a few years back, put out a statement that if anyone can uh, prove the existence of the measles virus, and he laid out some criteria for that, right? And it's very logical criteria. I don't remember exactly what it was, but it's like that this thing has been separated of all genetic material completely by itself, has been identified, has been characterized, right? And then has been introduced to a sick host by itself and shown to cause disease. Essentially following, I think, and don't don't quote me on this and people go look for yourselves, but essentially following Cox postulates, right? Mm -hmm. um, but he put out a statement like basically saying, if anyone can prove the existence of the measles virus, I'll pay you 100,000 euros. <clears throat> and originally, um, someone presented evidence, I think another scientist, and he a German court ordered that he had to pay. And of course, the mainstream news ran with that, like virus denier, uh, molecular biologist, Stefan Lanka, forced to pay in German court, yada, yada, yada. What happened though, is he appealed that, basically showing where that dude had not shown that the measles virus exists because he was using the same papers that I was just describing where it's the viral cell culture isolation method to prove that measles exists, right? And he had not proven it. So Stefan Lanka still has his 100,000 euros. He has no one has sufficiently proven the existence of the measles virus and he still has his 100,000 euros. And more importantly, um, this is this is good that you brought him up, is Stefan Locke is in the middle of phase two of his control experiment. So I want to start by saying that the definition of pseudoscience is anything that uh, claims to be science but does not strictly adhere to the scientific method, right? So Within the scientific method, especially when conducting like really, uh, really in-depth experiments and you're trying to validate your claim, you have to have like identified an independent variable, right? You have to, you know, aim, or at least try to validate your foundational claim and you have to conduct control experiments. Virology has done neither of those three things. They have never validated their foundational claim that there's a pathogenic disease causing virus inside that exists inside the fluids of a sick person, right? They have never identified an independent variable because they have never done what I just described. They have never identified a pathogenic disease causing virus by itself inside the fluids of a sick person as they presuppose, right? Um, and then they have never conducted control experiments on their Vero cell culture isolation method, right? So... Stefan Lanka has conducted those control experiments. And what I mean by that is Stefan Lanka has done the exact same, relating it back to the, the brick wall uh, analogy, the exact same thing without even introducing the ping pong ball, meaning that he just had the, the brick wall, smashed it with a hammer several times, took a giant boulder, threw it at the brick wall, the, bro the brick wall fell down and he was like, voila, like it's, it's the same thing, you know? So with the, the Vero cell culture isolation method, he used the exact same ingredients, except for he did not even put the supposedly infectious material that they presuppose contains the virus into the mix at all. He put all the other same things in there and the same result happened, yeah. right? The same exact thing, which completely invalidates all of these so-called isolation papers, right? And from my understanding, this is... Uh, in the midst of peer review right now, I think, or, or I, I think he is having it published or, or putting it up for peer review here soon. So, so phase two of this, and I want to preface this by saying, um, or, or lay the, lay the context for this uh, correctly is that 
you know, people usually respond to the, the, the lack of proper control experience with, okay, well, we've genomically sequenced the virus thousands of times. That's how we've identified the Lambda variant, the Delta variant, the Delta plus variant, this variant, that variant, like it's, it's been genomically sequenced thousands of times. We have the full RNA sequence for this virus and it's been uploaded. You can download it in, from, any, from multiple laboratories. You can look at it yourself, but here's how that goes. The very first genomic sequence of the so-called genomic sequence of SARS-CoV-2 went like this. They took one patient sample, they extracted 60 or 52 and a half million frag or no, 56 and a half million fragments of RNA from that one patient sample, right? And remember inside a patient sample, there is, I would argue that it's not 100% purified virus, right? Inside a sample of snot is a bunch of shit. Mm-hmm. So they extracted basically every fragment of RNA that they could from that snot. And then there was long strands of RNA, short strands of RNA. They threw out all the long ones and they took these short ones and rearranged it or like strung it together in a computer program based off of a template of SARS-CoV-1, which they isolated in the exact same way that I described earlier, right? So they have this template of SARS-CoV-1 in the computer. It's a so-called sequence of RNA, right? And they string it together to match SARS-CoV-1. They generated 1 million possible new sequences of a so-called new virus that when templating against SARS-CoV-1, and they arbitrarily picked the longest one and said, voila, here is a new sequence of a new virus. So it's like a lie built upon a lie, built upon a lie, and it just keeps going. Well, and it's, you know, like, is, are all virologists in on it? No, I don't think that at all. I think they have just never questioned the foundational, like, methods of virology. And this method for viral cell culture isolation was first done in 1954 by John Franklin Enders, who is the guy who uh, so-called discovered the so-called measles virus, or like said to have discovered the so-called measles virus, right? And what's interesting is in his paper where he, quote, discovered the measles virus, he admitted that um, when he did a proper control experiment, he did do a proper control experiment, the exact same result happened. So he did control experiments back then. But John Enders went on to win the Nobel Prize um, and also uh, created the measles vaccine. So everything thereafter was sort of ushered in as this is like, this is acceptable science. Um, I want to pull something up though, because I want to describe exactly what John Enders used in his first 1954 isolation experiment, the so-called isolation of measles. So he had throat, blood, and poop samples, milk, streptomycin, penicillin, bovine amniotic fluid, beef embryo extract, horse serum, antibiotics, formaldehyde, hematoxylin, eosin, soybean, trypsin, phenyl red, and he put it all in a monkey kidney cell. The cell broke down in a bunch of fragments and he said, ah, I've isolated the measles virus. Wow. That was the first so-called isolation of a virus and that method has been modified over over time, but it's basically that is the foundation for virology right there, that right there. And his own admission, and this is the quote, this is John Enders himself in that paper. The cytopathic changes 
it induced in the uns uh, unsustained preparations, meaning the one that he did the control without even introducing blood, mm -hmm. uh, poop or uh, throat samples at all, um, could not be distinguished with confidence from the virus isolated from the measles sample. So that was his own admission back in 1954, right? So, yeah, and so I, I just think that virologists have never question the foundational evidence of of their profession right and it's all built upon this and when it comes to the genomic sequence this is phase two of Stefan Lanka's control experiment so like again like I described that genomic sequencing process Stefan Lanka took a random sample of yeast grew it on a cell culture did the exact same process and after amplifying PCR I think 40 cycles which is what they do for to to do the original genomic sequencing he was able to get 100% of the so-called SARS-CoV-2 viral genome without even having a patient sample. It was random yeast grown on a cell culture. <laughs> Clown show, man. I just, I don't like, this is either testament to just the complete severe indoctrination that most of these so-called virologists, uh, the, the spell that they're under or you're right, they're, they're all in on it, which I don't think so either. But at the end of the day, if this is your profession and you carry the integrity of the scientific method, how are more mainstream virologists or scientists not looking at this and questioning this? Dude, I don't know, man. It's really, it's really crazy too, because like I started looking into this stuff like pretty early on in, in, in the so-called pandemic, right? Like that, this is what I obsessed over from the very beginning because I'd already done like a lot of the vaccine research and stuff. And that's why like when people ask me questions about the technology, the vaccine, I don't know the intricate details because it's not, obviously it's relevant, but what's more relevant is getting to the root of what causes disease, right? And it's, it's, it's really tough because at first I was, you know, scared to speak on this. And then I like became more confident. And I finally got to a point where I was confident enough to ask virologists or just like point blank ask on Twitter, can anyone provide me, anyone just ask me, I'm serious. Can you provide me one single paper in which a virus was isolated, purified, characterized and sequenced directly. And I would put asterisks around directly to emphasize that directly from the fluids of a sick person. And no one can provide me one single paper. And that is asking for foundational evidence that is asking for them to follow the scientific method. Or I'll ask another question. Can anyone provide me one paper in which virology strictly adheres to the scientific method and uh, validates their foundational claim of a pathogenic disease causing virus inside the fluids of a sick person? No one can provide me one paper. And I'm not asking that to be like, aha, gotcha. I'm asking that because that is how science works. I'm asking them to follow the scientific method and I cannot find one. If someone can find one where they follow the scientific method, awesome. I will be like, yes, they, here's, here's the paper that follows the scientific method and validates the foundational claim of pathogenic disease causing virus. And again, to be clear on this, absence, absence of evidence is not evidence of absence, right? Like, could there be a pathogenic disease causing virus? Absolutely there could. But the foundational evidence, especially the, like the evidence that we're using to flip the entire fucking world upside down right now yep. is inherently flawed and by definition, pseudoscientific. So that's why I, you know, beat this drum so much. And it is important because yes, like, you know, we, we may get to the understanding that 
that COVID-19 or like, you know, I, I, it seems to be that way right now that the tides are really starting to turn where uh, I, I'd say more and more people are starting to understand that COVID-19 is not what we're told, right? Um, but what's stopping them from doing COVID-21, COVID-23, a new bioweapon, a new variant of COVID that's more deadly? Uh, if, if we don't get to the root now that the foundational evidence for virology is by definition pseudoscientific, and we need to maybe start looking at the true causes of disease from a different lens, and that we need to, you know, be taking steps to be well, because what is built off of this, for whatever purpose, you could say it's for malicious intent, I think there's like, it's that as well as profit for control, everything is that because we have this in our mind, we think, oh, all nutrition, all that other shit is irrelevant. The only thing that we need to do to be healthy is just defend against this by taking vaccines, by wearing masks, by distancing from other people because this is so ingrained in our psyche, right? And that's where it's important to, to get back to questioning the foundational evidence behind this and understanding that we don't need to be fearful of each other, that there is, per the available evidence, no pathogenic disease causing agent that is going from person to person and causing massive amounts of harm, that health is a function of your nutrition, function of your, your lifestyle, function of your mindfulness, your connection to source, your time in nature, your connection to other people, um, your ability to heal your trauma. That is, that is what health is. 100%, man. I mean, you, you speak truth. I mean, I couldn't agree more, especially with this last few sentences. And, uh, you know, going back to what, you know, Joel, you asked in terms of, you know, why aren't more people even speaking out? And it's like, if you fully believe these- Did I even answer your question, Joel? I'm sorry if I didn't. <laughs> if you fully believe- in a certain foundational information and you've applied that and you've worked in a, a career for 20 years, 30 years, yeah. and you have a house and you have bills to pay and you have kids to go to college. Like it's the reason why there's a small percentage of human beings that become whistleblowers and that like completely um, risk livelihood, career, reputation to speak out. It's because there's a cognitive dissonance, you know, that word gets used often that comes into play like you would have to literally come face to face you talk about dark night of the soul face to face that all that money you spent in school all that education all the time spent doing research or whatever the case may be you know that maybe it was based on something that isn't true and how many people have the psycho-emotional fortitude knowledge of self to sit with that reality I mean, that's a, one of the deepest vulnerabilities to question your identity, to question your livelihood, your career, who you are as a person, everything you believe. Not many people have the ability to do that. And so this goes beyond just this one instance. You could look at that in every field that someone's been at for 10, 20, 30 years, and maybe that also has been built on some foundational falsehood. It's very challenging for a person's psyche to hold that. Dude, some of my friends that went to West Point with me that are in the army and still in the army, or even like I think of my father-in-law who is a retired full bird colonel and still works a government job right now for the Department of Corrections. And like, they will not go there on 9-11. They will not go there on 9-11. Yep. And then even when it came to this COVID situation, I had a conversation with my uh, father-in-law and I gave him all the evidence and data and then like broke it down logically how none of this is making sense. Like, um, and his, 
what he, how he responded after I gave him all that was like, you know, you know, I, I I've worked in the government for a long time and I just do not believe that they could pull one over on someone like me. And that's where it is, man. It's the cognitive dissonance of having to face like the reality of all the time and money and energy you've invested in this one thing, especially if you are self-identifying with it rather than just self-identifying with exploration or self-identifying with perceiving, experiencing. If you're self-identifying with that which you have perceived, that which you've experienced, that which you've explored, then you are prone to be hurt and you will not want to go there on any of this. Yeah. You know, the huge thing that I think is happening everywhere is people think they're too smart to be fooled. Mm. They think they're too smart. And it's like this quote that um, it's been attributed to Mark Twain, but I don't think he even said it, but you know how quotes go around. It's like, it's easier to yeah. fool people than it is to convince them that they've been fooled. Yeah, exactly. Exactly, man. So let's drive this one home for the audience. For clarity from your perspective, is there foundational evidence for any disease in history? So this is tough because like, for, for example, relating it back to COVID or to, or to, to, to AIDS, yep. COVID and AIDS are a set of symptoms that you can actually observe right? Like, like COVID-19 is a series of symptoms. AIDS is a series of symptoms. HIV mm-hmm. or SARS-CoV-2 are this alleged causes of uh, COVID-19 and of AIDS. Mm-hmm. So like the diseases themselves, like, yes, like when you like tie together multiple symptoms and you come up with like, okay, these symptoms are the expression of this disease. Yes, you could technically say that those are real things that exist. Now, I, I don't think putting a label on anything is helpful whatsoever because it's just your body expressing symptoms in order to begin to heal itself. Like any fucking label, we need to get rid of all of them. Mm-hmm. And just like, regardless of what it is, we need to heal our trauma. We need to uh, to eat clean, right? Like eat, eat and not eat clean out of fear, eat clean because we love our bodies. Yep. We need to exercise, we need to detox. Like it's, it's, it's the same regardless of what it is. And again, there's some nuance to that. But the point is, like there is evidence for disease. It's that the, the lack of evidence for what uh, we are claiming to be the causes of disease. That's the issue. Mm-hmm. Even when it comes to bacteria. Um, I don't think that there's any, I don't think that there's any good evidence that shows bacteria is at the foundation, the cause of disease. Now, can bacteria consume toxic? I mean, because we know bacteria's role in nature is mm-hmm. to is to consume decaying tissue and bring it back to the earth, or to consume toxins and then decompose them and bring it back to the earth. Right? That's the role of bacteria in nature. Um, now, if bacteria is eating toxic flesh in high amounts, then bacteria will poop, or the byproduct of bacteria will be toxic. So, in that case, like yes, bacteria can cause disease but is is it really that bacteria are the cause or were you already toxic yeah so i think when it comes to bacteria and and viruses i don't think have ever been shown to exist so i don't even like using that word because the implications behind virus but but it's the causes of these diseases that are in question Mm -hmm. right it's the cause of disease yep well Paradigm, I hope man. I didn't ramble too much and made sense. No, dude, you didn't. Know. You're making so honestly, much sense. Um, you're making sense. 
we, for me, we, my big wake. Oh, you can you go, man. No, and we we've kind of addressed this from different perspectives with with, with different guests, but even for me, I'm getting I'm getting deeper insights as to um as to really what's going on, you man. Then there's this is the beauty of all this is there truly is a new paradigm, which is probably closer to the real paradigm um, being being born out of us being forced to question the disease based on based on what's going on, you know. Um, but obviously, people following mandates and towing the line of what the government says is so much deeper than just fear of disease at this point you know and that's 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 the saddest part is how many people have gone against um their own deeper sense of morality and their own their own will um due to being forced or coerced and being threatened in terms of their livelihood and and, and their jobs so it just it's, it's it's beyond disease um for a lot of people out there too yeah, and people have been just so indoctrinated and propagandized and conditioned. I mean, that's where I always default back to. And like, do do I get pissed off at the people who are like blindly obedient? Yeah, I, I, I do. But I also have to have compassion for them because it's it's like the what Jesus said when he was on the cross, man. He was, he said, "Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do." And it's like when when it comes to these people, forgive them, for they know not what they do. They don't know. They haven't had an experience that is like like shook them awake. You know what I mean? Like, had I not experienced what I had experienced growing up and and seeing my mom and my wife transition out of allopathic medicine, I don't know that I'd be able to see. I would fucking hope so, because by now it's getting increasingly obvious. But yeah. I don't know that I would be able to see. Right. And I am, I am more concerned with the large number of people who can see that there's something wrong and are, are too afraid or just too apathetic to wake up. And to, to quote my main man, Jesus Christ, again, is uh, I would rather you be hot or cold than be lukewarm. If you're lukewarm, I'll spit you out of my mouth. And we have so many people who are in that apathetic state of, you know, they, they're too afraid to speak. Um, and there's nuance to everything. So there's some situations where like, fuck, like if I say one word, I will lose my job. That's providing money for like providing food for my kid. I'm barely making ends meet as it is. So like, I get it. I get it. But there are so many people who know something is wrong, but as long as they have their football, their basketball, they have their like shows on Netflix, they have you know, their fast food, this, this, and that, they don't give a shit. They'll, like, they'll, they'll just let this happen and let tyranny uh, take control and take hold of everything. Well, yeah, but this is where the propaganda, you know, the propaganda comes into play. I mean, you're looking at decades and decades of, of, of Hollywood, of media, of TV shows. And I mean, I remember I mean, my wife and I liked watching um, This Is Us. It's like a nice little show. Yeah, I used to love that show. Yeah, bro. And I, we, we love that show. And then the last season, dude, like whatever it was last season, we put it on and I'm like, are you fucking kidding me? Like they just literally took whatever was going on current events and applied into it. And then I'm always so curious. Like I watched an old show that I used to, uh, I used to like, and like from 20 years ago and before I, you know, got into this stuff and I see the little things that they put in there that support virology, that support this whole paradigm, allopathic medicine. Oh, you know, you're gonna to need to take medicine for the rest of your life. You know that, right, sweetheart? Yes, you're gonna to need to do it for the rest of your life because you have this X, Y disease, whatever, okay? And so, and this, this is us, there was this scene where the, Kate, I think was her name, she brought like their baby to the pediatrician. The scene was over, bro. 
There was no need for it to exist. And then the nurse goes, remember to come back next week for your vaccines. Cut to next scene. Dude. Like it was over. I was just like, all right. Okay, cool. You know, so, again, <laughs> so back to that thing. It's like, yeah, some people know better, but they're, they're, they've been conditioned for so long to think certain things and then bring in crowd psychology, like what it's like to separate from a herd, you know, how that also is destabilizing for some people. My parents aren't going to like me. My friends aren't going to like me. Like people that work with aren't going to like me. And so again, the psycho emotional fortitude to be able to stand in your truth. And what does that mean? Like it's harder for certain people. So I'm not saying that's an excuse, but that's just the reality of why people don't do the things they do. If we're sitting here analyzing behavior, these are different elements to that. For sure. And, and like, there's, there's a lot, but again, there is that crowd of people who absolutely know something is wrong and it's not even coming from a fear perspective. They just don't care. Cause it's just like, ah, as long as I have this, this, and that, uh, yeah. I don't, I don't feel the need to speak up. And it's like that, that is really bothersome. Well, How they're the ones that like know that? what they do, right. To, to, to reference the Jesus quote, um, that, that, that's, that's the lukewarm right there. Yep. Yeah, exactly. Just one more note on the propaganda. I was watching this kid show on Netflix with my daughter called Ohana or something like that. It was a cute show, nothing wrong with it. But anyway, at the start, they travel from New York to Hawaii. When they get to Hawaii, they're all wearing stickers, stickers on their shoulders just to show that they've had a vaccine. Uh, like, what the hell? Just little yeah, subtle yeah. things that go little in there. Little things. Uh, well, and, and, and like, think of how, how, like how nefarious that is too because the, yeah. the, the way it's done even on the this is us like don't forget to come back and get your vaccines not even that like it's not trying to press it upon you as like oh you need to believe this it's like oh of course this is something that we do it's not even like in questions like just like in passing like of course this is how it is right like of course that's how it is you know yeah my, my wife and i don't watch like regular tv so we didn't we don't see commercials okay but we were watching something recently on Hulu. So you watch Hulu, commercials kind of come in. And even just within the commercials, they're, they're just like, if you want this thing to just be done, if, or why are you having these commercials where everyone's wearing masks, everyone doing the, like the band-aids, everyone, it's just like, why are they bringing this in to, to like our, our consciousness? Like, it's just weird. Like, that's the weirdest thing. Like, why are all these people and actors on commercials wearing masks? Like, dude <laughs> it's, it's just silly to me it's just like uh just like how in airports they you know they said that the stuff that tsa does would be temporary to so yeah fight terror it's the same thing now this this was supposed to be temporary or so they said yeah two um, weeks it, to flatten the curve 600 days later yeah, you know two weeks to stop terrorists from coming into the united states uh take your fucking shoes off like 20 years later yeah <laughs> Or the Patriot Act, we get to monitor everything you do because of terrorism now. That's, it's all, it's all, it's, it's a slow drip, man. It's a slow drip where they slowly change things. And it's like one thing leads to another. And if you don't have the wherewithal to understand what they're doing, then you're going to be conditioned to just accept the next thing and the next thing and the next thing. And that's, you know, that's why it's so important right now to turn people back to themselves, to empower people, to trust their own observations and experiences and at the least, when you do that, they start that inward process and they start questioning what's going on in reality. Oh, you've hit the nail on the head, man. And that's the biggest problem is that most people cannot trust themselves because we're so used to and so conditioned to externalize the truth and to look 
everywhere else for it except ourselves right even just to even within the truth community we want to find someone who has the truth just so we don't have to do the work ourselves we want to find someone that's got the answers someone that we can rely on you know just any, anything that's safe as opposed Bro, to and, and, ah, this this is such i was talking with my wife about this the other day how many people in the truth community are trying to pose themselves as like some authority figure expert that everyone should outsource to yeah bothers the shit out of me so much which is why every single time i speak i make an, a point to empower people to trust their own observations and experiences first yeah. i'm just another I, I say this almost to a fault where it's almost like kind of awkward how many i say it. i'm just a random 29 year old white dude you can do the same shit that i do like you can do the same shit that i do i'm not some authority i want you to trust your own observations and experiences take information from all sides take what i said about virology Go explore for yourself, though. Don't blindly trust what I say. Go explore that shit for yourself, please. I mean, that's even what Dr. Cowan told me to do when I was continually questioning him. He said, Alec, you are smart enough to figure this out for yourself, right? He could have said, oh, you just need to blindly trust that I know this. I don't want that. I want people to go fucking explore. Explore for yourself. Um, How deep into your army career were you when you woke up to 9-11 or even to the fact that there was never nukes in Iraq. Um, so that was before I started my, like my health journey, so to speak. Like when, like when all the stuff happened with my mom and Kelly Brogan, that was in the middle of 2016. Mm-hmm. Um, but I had, I had been looking into nine 11 and stuff around 2014, 2013. Um, and was pretty undecided on like, you know, there's a lot of cognitive dissonance. And here I was at a military academy about to come into the army, you know? Mm. Uh, so it, it, it was a, it was a tough thing for me, but as I began to, you know, start down the rabbit hole of questioning everything else in 2016, that's when I really became solid in my perceptions on, on 9-11 and everything else. Um, and I, you know, I never like, went to West Point, like dreaming of being in the army. It was really, I went there again because of basketball like that. And like, okay, yeah, just, just hoops, man. I just wanted to hoop, you know, and then I got cut, (laughs) but (laughs) then I stayed because dude, having a degree within the matrix, like having a degree from West Point meant a lot to me. So I was like, you know, just like stay here. So five years in the army, get out. I always knew that I wasn't going to make the army a career and I was going to get out after my minimum of five years. And, uh, I was just sort of rationalizing in my mind, okay, like whatever I can to, to stay out of situations for combat. And, you know, it's kind of cool because I kind of manifested that there's this program in the army called the U S army world-class athlete program, where if you're on a U.S. national team for any of the Olympic sports, you do that full time for any Olympic qualification period. So back up when I got cut from the basketball team at West point, I uh, was playing pickup basketball in the gym, like very beginning of my freshman year. And I got approached by this dude who was a senior who saw me playing pickup basketball. And he said, Hey man, you should, you should come try out for the handball team. I was like, handball. Like I was thinking the game where you like hit the ball against the wall. I was like, what the, like, what, what are you? Yeah. I was like, what are you talking about? And he's like, no, it's not what you think. Like I got cut from the lacrosse team when I was a freshman, I found handball come try out. I promise you'll love it. So West point has a handball team a rugby team and a water polo team and a men's volleyball team where everyone who gets cut or quits from the basketball, football, baseball, soccer, 
or lacrosse team goes and plays those sports. So I happened to come across handball, uh, just like you're you're doing. Awesome. Uh, what, dude? I, you're you're awesome. Most sorry. You're awesome. You're just awesome. think, just think, you're awesome most of the time. <laughs> <laughs> That's all you remember my name, dude. You're awesome most of the time. You're awesome. <laughs> <laughs> I love that so much. You're awesome most of the time. I like that. You're awesome most. Okay. Like, yes, that handball, like where, where, where you're throwing a ball into a goal. So I, I end up um, playing handball at West Point, like in there, like all the clubs that we play against around the United States, like there's one in Chicago, a few in New York and other places. And they're all comprised of people who grew up playing it in Europe or South America, because it's huge in those countries and live in, in the United States now. So they just like form a local team. And mm-hmm. then there's a few, few college teams as well. But I, I got good enough to... Uh, where my junior year, a U.S. national team coach saw me playing. and was like, hey, I want you to try out for the U.S. national team. And I was like, I can't because I have to be in the Army. And he was like, oh, au contraire. Yes, you can, because there's a program in the Army, like I said, where you can where you can uh, do that full time. And so I was like, this is this is the way, man. So I uh, tried out for the U.S. national team, made it. And then I was in the U.S. Army world class athlete program from 2000, the beginning of 2018 through the end of 2019 just training as a as a athlete and playing professional handball in germany training with the u.s national team in auburn at the time that's where the u.s men's and women's team trained um so that's what i did for two out of my five years in the army dude that's so cool man you know this is another thing why i love that we focus with this podcast it's not just like who are you what do you do uh tell us it's like we love people's stories man like yeah. How many people on Instagram know that you're fucking an avid handball player? I mean, I don't know, dude. Like, I, I don't, maybe, maybe you have talked about it, but I haven't heard Not it. Not really, man. Like, I don't like it because it usually ends up being a long conversation of like, when I say, yeah, I was on the U S national team for handball. They're like, Oh, handball. Like I used to play that. Like I used to play doubles with my partner, you know, at the men's club. And I'm like, no, it's not that handball. And then it's like a long conversation. I I went to uh, my family's from Greece. So I was in Greece for the 2004 Olympics and uh, I spent like the summer there and I went to a handball match. Uh, I don't know who, I don't know who played who, but I was like, this is so cool. Cause I love like these weird games or sports like that are different. Yeah. Cause handball, is it pretty much like water polo, but on the ground? Water polo on land or like land? You could say lacrosse with your, with, with, with your hands instead of sticks. Cause on defense you can check, right. Or you can wrap people up. Just can't like take them to the ground. You do get taken to the ground, but dude, it's like the perfect American sport or maybe Australian sport <laughs> that Americans and Australians don't really play. Like yeah. it, it's fast paced. It, it has a lot of contact. You jump, like you want to be able to jump super high. You want to be able to run fast. Um, you throw a ball as hard as you can. Um, cool. It's dude, it's, it's the best man. It's, it's such a fun sport. And uh, I was very fortunate to get to play. It, it was pretty funny. Our U S national team qualifier. So we had our qualifier against Canada to qualify for the Pan American games, um, which is like the North and South America's version of the Olympics that qualifies for the Olympics. Right. In our qualifier against Canada, we had 16 dudes on that roster. And I want to say only six out of the 16 dudes on that roster were born and raised in the United States. The other 10 dudes that were on the roster were like German-American, French-American, Egyptian-American, uh, Swedish-American, um, 
that their mom just happened to have U.S. citizenship for some reason or like something, mm-hmm. and they weren't good enough to make their national team. So they're like, oh, I'm going to play on the U.S. national team. So we had dudes on our team that had never even lived in America before. They were playing for the United States and like half of them couldn't speak English. It was, it was pretty funny. That's pretty awesome. The, one more question I have. Have the skills that you've um, gained from handball made you an amazing dodgeball player? <laughs> I'd say it made me awful at, at dodgeball because it's like, it's the exact opposite of handball, right? Like you're wanting, I mean, maybe. Like no, but I feel want- like because you throw an accuracy, you could just like, you could just hit a person, you know, you have great. Yeah, response. I guess that's, yeah, I guess that's, <laughs> yes. Throw, like throwing, yes. Especially because like I can throw with both hands too. So yeah. that's pretty cool. Uh, um, but but I, I guess like dodging a ball, I'm also thinking from the perspective of a goalie in handball. I've never played goalie in handball, but it's funny. Like, cause we would play at West Point, especially we'd play dodgeball as like a, as a warm up game sometimes uh-huh. just for fun. <clears throat> and it was funny seeing the goalies have to shift their perception. Cause like a goalie, you want to get hit by the ball to try to stop it. And then you were having to see goalies now, like not want to get hit by the ball. So it's like messing with their, yeah. yeah. Oh, but uh, yeah, I can throw, I can throw pretty, pretty well now, especially cause the, I mean, the ball is this big and it's like a pound. So yeah. Cool. Yeah. I love yeah. it, man. Well, I Dude, think I like this. This is a nice change of pace where I'm not talking about. <laughs> I mean, listen, we, we get to talk about some personal stuff. We get to talk about some real shit too. Like we're just, you know, three dudes doing our part having a good conversation i I love it man i'm really thankful for you making the time and coming on our show dude this was great and you're dude you're awesome most of the time (laughs) it's true dude like (laughs) i can get behind most of the time i'm definitely not all the time like you can ask my wife she probably won't say all the time (laughs) i'm never gonna forget that (laughs) oh man that's great that's great Alec, man, so grateful, so much deep respect for what you do, the way you stand and um, the, the path that you've chosen to take, man, during this course of the time. Um, it's so needed and so necessary. There's no coincidences. There's only synchronicities. And thank you for being you, bro. Really. Yeah. Dude, thank you guys for having me. This was awesome. This was super cool, fun. Hmm. Awesome, dude. Well, yeah. Yeah, man. Well, uh, yeah to, our, uh, to everyone out there listening. Thank you so much for listening and uh, we'll see you next time. Yeah, absolutely. Take care, guys. Peace. Smoke and mirrors, I'm seeing through the illusion. Waking up in a the time, they think you're in a delusion. Somebody set the alarms because they be too busy snoozing. I'm in a DeLorean.